Welcome to the Oyster Stew Podcast. I'm Libby Hall, Director of Communications for Oyster Consulting. Regulators have been approaching their exams and regulatory requirements from a risk-based perspective. To this end, regulators use risk assessments to evaluate how firms are controlling for the risks that they have. In today's podcast, part one of two about using risk assessments as a tool in your compliance program, Oyster's experts, some of whom are former regulators themselves, share why they use risk assessments, and you should too. Let's get started, Buddy. Thank you, Libby. I'm Buddy Doyle. I'm really pleased to be joined today by Bill Riley, Mary Catherine Wilkpond, and Mark Norman. And today we're going to be talking about risk assessments. And you hear an awful lot about risk-based compliance and uh, doing risk assessments for cybersecurity, for AML. Uh, but Mark, maybe you could start us off today by telling us a little bit about why firms do risk assessments. Sure, yeah. It's not a matter of, of you know, whether or not you'll face risks. It's a matter of, of whether or not you've proactively identified risks that your firm is going to face. And then have you put controls in place to mitigate those risks and then in practice do those controls actually work to, to mitigate the risks you've identified right so as a good business practice it's a good thing to do and then secondarily or, or maybe primary reason would be that that your regulators are also um, looking at the risks that your fa firm faces and then evaluating your firm based on how well you identify and mitigate the risks of, of, of your firm yeah, and that's a actually a good point. I know regulators do their own risk assessments of organizations. And um, Mark, you used to work at FINRA, which is one of the primary regulators for air clients, which are broker dealers and investment advisors. They don't regulate investment advisors. They know where they are because they host uh, all of their licensing information and registrations. But um, at FINRA, you know, again, I know they looked at risk in different categories and buckets. Can you give us a little sense of how FINRA looks at risk? Yeah, of course. Um, FINRA has nine risk categories um, that they've identified that their that their member firms face, and and they've got six six categories on the on the financial and operational side, and then three um, identified risks on the sales practice and business conduct uh, risk side. Uh, the FinOp risks that they've identified are credit, market risk, net capital, segregation of customer assets, liquidity, and operational risk. And then on the sales practice and business conduct side, um, they've identified fraud and deception, money laundering, and sales practice risks. Um, your firm may actually identify more because some of those some of those categories could be uh, subdivided into more specific categories um, but those are those are the big risks that 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 FINRA has identified and and they take each of those nine risks and and they say does the firm have um, good controls do they have moderate controls or do they have poor controls um, for each of those risks and and they create a grid and they rank your firm and say, you know, yeah, you're good or yeah, you're bad. And 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 they actually make those assessments by virtue of the exams they conduct. And then even by the phone calls that that you might have with your risk monitoring analyst to to talk about focus filings or to talk about a cause exam 
they're internally saying to themselves, hey, does my firm understand the net capital implication of A and B and C? Um, does my firm understand the risks of the products that they're selling and and do they understand um, what kind of what kind of trouble that could possibly get them into? And then, of course, uh, hopefully your risk monitoring analyst is following up with you and saying, well, what are you going to do about A and B and C? And, and hopefully you have good answers and, and FINRA is satisfied and says, yeah, gosh, these guys are these guys are on the ball. They're really sharp and we don't need to come visit them as often as I thought. And Bill, you're you're a former state regulator, and uh, of course, there's 50 states that act in 50 different ways if you don't count the state of confusion that often it comes from that. But <laughs> state regulators look at risk assessments and uh, or do they look at risk assessments? Well, thank you, buddy. Yeah, one of the things that uh... Uh, as you indicated, I'm a former state regulator, used to run the state of Florida examination program. And one of the things that we did is uh, there are two focuses, three uh, focuses, two of them are occur a lot more often than the others. Okay? State regulators are responsible for state covered advisors. They will also look at, uh, at broker dealers, primarily that may be domiciled in their states. And they also look at branch offices. So you know, as Mark indicated, there's a lot of systems out there for handling, you know, risks that are on the broker dealer side. When you're talking about the states and the SEC, they are generally the sole regulators of investment advisors. The state have state covered advisors. The SEC has federally covered advisors. The states do have jurisdiction uh, for both state and federally covered investment advisor representatives. But one of the things that we did in Florida and some other states also adopted this is we did a basically uh, a rudimentary uh, risk assessment by downloading information contained in the IAPD, a lot of information such as products, services and, and so forth, you know, looking at number of reps, number of branch offices, products and, and so forth. And what we would do is we would run a program very similar to what you know FINRA does and I'm sure the SEC does. And based upon that, we would come up with a hierarchy of uh, you know looking at you know which investment advisors have the highest risk. And then based upon that, um, we would make a determination as to which firms to focus on. And then as Mark said, one of the things too, the regulators utilize a risk assessment. It is anticipated and expected. It's in the best interest of a firm, not only for regulation, but also for customer service. I mean, remember, you've got your clients out there that you want to make sure that they believe in you. They look at you know, the information and uh, the way you operate, and they wanna be aligned with a firm that they know have a real focus on regulation. Bill, again, regulators sometimes help us look at risk a little bit differently. I know you kind of come around to us routinely and say we should be looking at these kinds of risks. Where do you get that kind of information from, Bill? Yeah, I think it's a good point, buddy. Of course, as everyone knows, risk assessments are not stagnant. And again, you mentioned about internal matters, but you're right. There's a lot of things that occur outside of the firm. And one of the things that, that we always look at, the SEC and FINRA always comes out at the beginning of each calendar year with examination priorities. 
indicating what areas of concern they're going to look at. What are they finding in their examinations, client complaints, and, and, and other information that firms may not have good expertise in or even know that this is something that they should be checking? So I think those annual calendar year priorities. Also, you look at FINRA comes out with notices and guidance. The SEC comes out with, with certain information and guidance during the year. We also look at administrative actions that are brought by the regulators. From the state perspective, one of the things that happens every year, and it happens about this time every year, is NASA issues an enforcement report, which talks about enforcement issues and actions brought against both registered and unregistered individuals. A lot of good information contained in those in the documents. And I think also one thing that, that's also important is that from time to time, NASA will issue a document, Investor Threats, where they may look at the top 10 investor threats, again, from both the unregistered and the registered side. So all good documents, all good information may not be applicable to you, but if it is applicable, then again, you need to go back through the process of recognizing it, implementing it, training and testing. Speaking of training, Mary Catherine, I know you've done an awful lot of training to firms. I think these annual priorities are great to work into your needs assessment for annual training. How does your risk assessments inform your needs assessment for training? Well, I think that just like you should be looking at policies and procedures on a regular basis, as Bill mentioned, your risk assessment isn't a one and done. And you need to be looking at that. You need to be paying attention to what's going on in the industry. And you need to be regularly training your folks bringing to their attention some of these issues that maybe the SEC, state regulators, FINRA are finding, and make sure that your staff is very aware of what's going on out there. And don't think that training should occur you know, annually and only annually. You know, as things arise, make sure that your staff is aware of what's happening and they are very much in tune to what's going on in the industry. Yeah, and I think every week here at Oyster, we have our weekly huddle where the whole firm gets together and we do sort of the ripped from the headlines section where we talk about the things that either regulatory hot topics, findings, system outages, market crashes, things like that. and. I think you can learn from that process how to get into your risk assessments relatively quickly. And it's just taking those things and developing that discipline uh, around that. And I know there, it, it is part of an ongoing process of both mm -hmm. managing your risk, maybe avoiding some risk, and looking at how you're controlling that risk. You know, one thing we've talked about is all these risks and the regulators have identified these risks and there's a lot of information out there. It can seem overwhelming because it's a lot, but these plans need to be tailored to your firm, right? FINRA has the nine risks and you might read through them and say, well, 
credit risk. Well, we don't loan any money. We don't owe anybody money. Nobody owes, owes us any money, right? So you might think to yourself, well, that's a risk we've identified or not identified, and then you can move on, right? So it's important to tailor it to your firm and not become overwhelmed with the sheer volume of what what the regulators are asking, because ultimately you you know your business better than the regulators, and and the, and the regulators come out and they they paint with such a broad brush, right? The the rules and regulations they come up with are meant to deal with the largest and most complex firms that we have. So I feel that a lot of times the smaller broker dealers, which there's a lot more smaller broker dealers than there are big ones, right? They they get caught up in in the minutia and the details that that would be really applicable to a huge firm, a firm with 10,000, 20,000 reps. So, and that's a point where a place where, you know, a consultant can come in to help you separate the wheat from the chaff, right? To here's, here's the important things to your firm. Look, you, you don't need to worry about everything here because that's, that's for the big boys to deal with. And, and here's, here's the important points for a, a firm like yours. To add to that, goes back to policies and procedures. You don't necessarily have to have a 100 page policy around something. You also don't need to have maybe have a single paragraph around something. So ensuring that you, you are tailoring your risk assessment, your policies and procedures to your firm's business model is just so very important. Yeah, if I can follow up on what you know, Mary Catherine just said, look, one of the things, and it's been almost 10 years since I was a regulator, but one of the things that when people would have issues and they would come in to talk and we would try to resolve an issue, people would say, Mr. Riley, all I have as a registered rep or from my broker dealer is my reputation. Reputations are very important to your, to your business. Firms that don't have great reputations, People know about it. You know, there's a lot of information, a lot of talk and so forth. You will experience risk. You will assess your risk. You will say, I might get this. It's got a high inherent risk. I got a good control around this thing. But you will experience risk. We have BCP plans for a reason. And that's because you will experience risk if you are a successful business. And you may not need to focus on every area of of what other firms have in their BCP, right? As a small firm, you know, you 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 may rely on your your clearing firm for their their back office technology. You may not be cutting checks to your clients. They may be cutting checks to your clients. And you can look at how you're you're structured and how you operate. And you don't have to completely get rid of every single kind of risk. There's build in Florida, might be a hurricane in Florida. That would be a risk that is probably a lot more significant than Iowa. But, you know, Iowa has risks as well. They might have snowstorms, right? And of course, nobody's going to get a pandemic, but we still have to have them in our plants. Um, or at least that's what everybody said during the bird flu. Uh, so I think it really is, you know, when regulators are talking about things, sometimes it feels like they're making you do something for no reason. 
Sometimes you feel that way for years and years. But I do think that you've got to make sure that you you understand you will have risks. What do you do when those risks occur? And if there is a cyber breach, do you have a plan to respond to that? Do you know that you're supposed to contact your primary regulator? Do you know what the reporting requirements are? Do you have a team ready to go to get those things resolved? I think those are all things that you need to to work through as you're doing your assessment. And you don't have to get it perfect the first time. You can't get it perfect. It is, uh, to Mary Catherine's point, it never ends. I am a huge fan of blunt disclosures. Put it in there. Talk about it overtly because it is the way to protect your organization. The people that read those blunt disclosures tend to be plaintiff's counsel and regulators. You don't get a lot of questions from your customers about your disclosures. They don't read them, but they're too big. They take too long. But I think that you want to make sure you have really, really good disclosures if you can mitigate that risk and you feel comfortable that you can do things. And then there will be times where you just avoid the risk while things play out. A lot of firms have taken that approach with crypto, with digital assets. I'm not going to trade any digital assets because it's too risky. And I think you let the market settle out until, until that becomes a, a normal thing. Uh, of trading crypto or more normal, closer to normal. And again, you can't avoid risk, but I do think you can manage through that. And I think it's just impossible to have a risk-based approach to, to compliance without a risk assessment. Thanks everyone for listening. If you'd like to learn more about our experts, our Oyster Solutions governance, risk and compliance software, or how Oyster can help your firm visit our website at oysterllc.com. If you like what you heard today, follow us on whatever platform you listen to and give us a review. Reviews make it easier for people to find us.